Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman, and this week I am joined by Toby. Toby, you can say hi. Hi, I'm Toby. Welcome, welcome on the podcast. Toby's been on before. Um, I invited uh, Toby here to specifically talk about dice and math and stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. And the reason that Toby is um, is really uh, like the right person to ask for this is because um, you actually have a PhD in mathematics. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I will say I am not a probabilist, which is the okay. coolest word to say, <laughs> yes. uh, but it is what people who study probability formally call themselves. Which is just silly and fun. Really? Okay. So is that a okay? We're immediately getting kind of off off, off topic here, but that's okay. So if you're a probabilist, 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 if you're a probabilist, um, is that like all you do? Like, can math get that sort of like niche as you get into it? Like, okay, absolutely. So, so you're you're yeah, nodding. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. so just for some context, my focus was in geometry and the shapes mm. of leaves oh and that cool. is essentially my entire thrust and yeah the way that i've kind of heard people talk about academia and and you know these higher level degrees is that you have this like circle which is the extent of of human knowledge and you're putting just the tiniest little bump <laughs> outward a little yeah. bit more um and, you know, collectively we do this. And then you have these like big events like, you know, Einstein and Turing mm. and et cetera. Yeah. But for the most of us, we're just adding just these little bumps to extend that circle just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my, my wife is a, a scientist as well. And so she she sometimes laments that um, like back in the day, it was a little bit easier to make those bumps, <laughs> bumps in the circle. And like these days, yeah, you have to kind of get down to yeah, studying specifically the geometry of leaves, <laughs> leaves in the shapes. Of right. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably weren't the only one, or, or I guess, are you the only one that's studied that? <laughs> Conferences that were focused on this topic are, you know, like 50 people. So yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> it's a small group of people focus on this very narrow subset. But of course, you know, it's an onion, right? So you peel back and you get these like bigger ideas that are mm -hmm. the underpinnings of that yes. idea and you peel that back and you get, mm -hmm. you know, the idea sort of for this, this conversation came about in my head of just like, you know, I know that dice are, are like random. Right. And we're, I'm going to, the first question I'll ask you in a little bit is like, what is random? Right. Like, you know, so the idea is that you have dice and we use them in games to like decide stuff when we want sort of a random number, random number generator. And I know I've seen like the curves that people will draw out about like, you know, if you roll, you know, roll this combination of dice a certain number of times, right? Like these are the, the numbers you can expect and stuff like that. So, but what I wanted to ask you is, so first of all, you could answer what is random, but then like, what is the, the easy way for sort of determining those curves? Like, is there just like an equation that people follow or do I have to sit there and roll a D6 a thousand times and, and make it myself? <laughs> you know, like what's, what's sort of the, the math answer? Yeah, so so I'll start with, you know, what is random? And, you know, there's a lot of philosophical ideas here about, about randomness uh, that I won't necessarily broach because I am definitely not the right person to broach those. Uh, but my kind of working definition of randomness is any process, like rolling dice, mm -hmm. where the individual outcomes are indeterminable ahead of time. Okay. However the long-term dynamics or, or the, you know, the large sample size 
dynamics are well understood or interpretable. Okay. And what I mean by that is for any dice roll, let's take a D6 classic cube. Anytime I roll the dice, I have no idea what the outcome will be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have some idea. It's one through six. Yeah. And it's an <laughs> integer. Yeah. But I, I, I couldn't say for certain that, you know, it will be a six. It will be a four. Yeah. However, what I can say for certain is that if you roll that infinitely many times, I will get a six one-sixth of the time. Hmm. Okay. So once you do this enough times, there is some determinism, right? Which says like, yes, one-sixth of the time, I will get a six if I do this enough times. Like flipping coins, right? Half the time I will get heads if I flip enough coins. Okay. But for any single coin flip, I can't really say if it will be heads or tails. Yeah, so that makes sense. So like you, yeah, so you, like, the, right, the D6 is sort of like the easy example. I've got one in my hand right now, right? Like, yeah, six sides like that. But if you were to say, like, you start going to pick leaves, you know, like off of trees, <laughs> for example, right? And started counting all, like, counting all the ridges and stuff on, on each of those, those leaves. Like, we probably know that there's, well, like, most leaves will have between whatever, 50 and 100 of those, right? Like, so to determine that, you just also pick an infinite number of leaves and then you'd, you'd get that same kind of distribution. Is that, that the thinking? The interesting <laughs> question. Yeah. And, and surprisingly poignant because my focus is on the undulation of leaves. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. uh, which turn out to be a very physical process that depends on, on lots of things. Hmm, okay. But for any, say, sufficiently complex process that we don't understand, this is another kind of philosophical interpretation of probability, right? Or, or mm-hmm. randomness. Events that are so complex that they're just easier to abstract in this random fashion. You could pull infinitely many leaves, count the undulations, and for every bin, right? So this mm-hmm. this leaf had 50. So I will put this leaf in my 50 undulations bin. Yeah. This leaf had 75. So I will put it in my 75 undulations bin. And then what you'll see is that the sizes of those bins can vary, but they will kind of achieve a steady state as you pull more and more leaves. Mm-hmm. And there are some details here that, that we're yeah. kind of yeah. <laughs> wiping under the rug. And so then if you were to pull you know, any random leaf, it would fall into one of these bins with essentially the probability of the size of that bin at that point. And then you could say things kind of more, what would happen on, on this like larger scale if you pulled hundreds of leaves. Yeah, yeah. But again, for any single leaf, you may not have an idea, right? It's still indeterminable. Yeah, okay. So there's, there's sort of like the difference between between all the like the possible numbers and sort of the on that infinite, you know, infinite scale of like what's likely to happen, right? And then but versus then so like but then if you're just stepping into sort of that probability set and you're just going to pick one like you, you have no idea, right? Like what it could be. Correct. And I think the thing that's like interesting to me is that ties into this is like the concept of like people rolling like luck, like luckily, right? Like the, you know they're really good at rolling or they're really bad at rolling, right? You know, and so like I mean, you would say, and I think most mathematicians would say, like, well, that doesn't exist, right? Like it's not possible for someone to to be better or worse at rolling a die, you know, <laughs> assuming they have the mechanics of like you know throwing it on the table table down correctly which is something that i struggle with <laughs> i seem to like roll it off the <laughs> table <laughs> you, know, you know quite a bit but yeah there's a there brandon who's been on the the podcast a couple of times you know on the, the actual place that we do once a year 
like they they roll terribly and like it seems it it seems almost statistically improbable how how poorly brandon rolls <laughs> but my understanding is that like that's not that's not a thing right yeah my, my take on that is that it's untrue we've only done finitely many rolls for one thing yeah. right so it may be the case that he's fallen into a place where he has statistically less likely than average dice rolls but as time goes on he should converge to something that's generally on it uh, the mean mm -hmm. however I, I think it's more of a confirmation bias psychology problem where mm -hmm. perhaps their initial roles were maybe not very good they led to really interesting storytelling mm. and then anytime they roll well it's, it kind of passes unnoticed yeah. and when poor rolling happens it's it's this like oh brandon you did it yeah. again and it kind of like <laughs> yeah. reaffirms itself as this psychological bias it's like have you ever played a game in roll 20 or like another vtt you end up in those um right so if you use their digital dice rolling right it kind of it gives you like a list of all the dice rolls like just in the sidebar right so I, every time anyone is rolling it's telling you exactly what they've rolled the thing that I've noticed is every time I play in a VTT is that there's a tendency for people to feel like they're rolling really lowly, like really low every time. And and I do wonder if it's just, if it is that confirmation bias of like, you're seeing the list of all the, all the dice rolls. Mm -hmm. And because it, it is in theory more random, you know, it, in theory it's, it's, you know, as random as we can get, right. Cause it's a computer and we can have various inputs to try to make it as random as possible and stuff. Right. Like, but it just, it seems lower. But I think like with that ephemeral nature of dice rolls at the table, you sort of very quickly forget like what happened, what happened last time. Cause you're very much focused on the, like, yeah, like you were saying, like the narrative behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like that, that meta narrative on top of the story that you're telling together. Yeah. Okay. So like going back a little bit to, to like a more math question. So like, you know, it's like the one D six, right? Like that makes sense to me, right? You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, like that. If you did something like three D eight plus two, is there an equation for figuring out like how that, how those bins will end up happening or yeah, like, do you graph it out? Like what's, what's sort of the process that a mathematician would go through to figure, figure some of those things out? Yeah. So there are formal structures for mm -hmm. writing down the expectation or the, or the means or the, the probabilities, the probability mass function, people would call it in the case of discrete systems, discrete being like a one, two, three, rather than like any number between run zero and one. However, I think the best way to do things like D&D &D dice or, or these like small pools of dice is to just write out all the outcomes. Mm. Here's kind of the process. So you would say the first die can be a one, the second die could be a one, and the third die could be a one. That represents a triplet, and then you have a value. So 3d6 plus two, in that case, is five. So you're never going to roll lower than five. You can't roll lower than a five. And now you have one entry in your five bin. Okay. And now you go through all the possible permutations of the dice. So one, 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 two, that gives you a six in total. And then you would put that in your six bin. And then of course, one, two, one. So you have to keep the dice ordered, right? Roll the first die, roll the second, roll mm -hmm. the third die. So one, one, two, one, two, one, and two, one, one, all give you the same value, mm -hmm. which is six. It's the only way to get six. Those are all three possibilities to get six. Okay. And so you have one way to get five, and three ways to get six. So uh, that okay. means you are three times more likely to get a six than you are to get a five. Interesting. Okay. And so now you can you can play this game for all the possible permutations. And those graphs that you see are 
ostensibly just counting the values in those bins. And so what you'll see is, you know, for values, say, 7, 8, and 9, there are a lot of possibilities that give you 7, 8, and 9 on 3D6. So you'll have a lot more entries in those bins or value in those bins. So those will be the most likely. And that's how you get something like one of those bell curves that people are familiar yeah, and it, it also, I mean, this this all of them kind of brings up for me. It's like you know, it's like so we're assuming a perfectly balanced die, right? So people will do the salt water test if you've heard of that, right? Like, so you, you make a very uh, salty <laughs> salty water solution, put your die in, and kind of keep on like bobbing it underneath the surface and make sure that it keeps on coming up with different numbers, numbers every time. And if you start seeing the same number coming up, like that's you can kind of tell like, hey, you know, this dice is this die is not balanced, right? I think there's an element of that. Like, you know, so I have these, these D6s on my table right now that I got from the dollar store, which this is a pro tip. If you're ever looking for really cheap D6s, go to the dollar store. They sell them as like poker dice um, <laughs> in six packs and stuff. Yeah, but like these things are for sure not balanced. Absolutely like, not. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Like there's zero quality control. Like I'm I'm sure I've gotten some that weren't painted, you know, like all, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But I mean, it's kind of fascinating to think about like, you know, you have sort of the idealized curve and then you have the curve as it exists with the dice that you're using could be different between two people at the same same table um and then you also have sort of like the the meta narrative that you're telling at the table about like who's rolling well and who's rolling poorly <laughs> you know and then like on top of that then you even have like the at the like the gm level of like did they call for a check when they should have versus not? Plus you have Brandon who has loaded dice, but they're yes. loaded in the wrong direction. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or you have people like fudging rules and stuff like that. Right. So it's like all these things that go into it. Like, right. So like, we have this, this concept in tabletop games of like, we, we have found this way to simulate randomness in a perfect way, but there's all this like fuzzy humanness that gets involved um, in it too. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, well I'm so cheap. I only get my, my dice set dollar tree you know like that's that's only dice that i'm gonna use <laughs> like that you know maybe i argued with the gm enough and they're like no actually you're gonna take disadvantage on this role right like so it's like all this stuff that goes into it yeah so i guess my question for you is like maybe we can get a little bit into the philosophical it's like like what's the point of dice right like what's the point of having randomness in games um like i have my own thoughts on that which i can share in a bit but i'm, I'm curious what you're let, let me like go back and we'll build because that yeah. was a was a lot yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, no, 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 it's perfect. As as far as the salt test and like whether your dice are fair or not, which would be mm -hmm. the, you know, the way a probabilist would talk about your dice, <laughs> yeah. uh, is not important at all. Okay. So even loaded dice will not roll sixes every time. Yes. Okay. Unless they're, of course, vendor's dice, which mm -hmm. are different. And he, he takes the randomness out of it by by interpreting all of the physics and, and uh -huh. <laughs> mastering the throw and all yeah. of that. Um, yeah. And there is some, like, I think, throw mastery that goes into rolling loaded dice. You know, mm -hmm. kind of like the equivalent of a, a deck of cards, a mechanic yes. of a deck of cards. That being said, the dice that you're getting at the dollar store or the dice that you get from someone on Etsy who poured them out of resin or, mm -hmm. or that you get from the casinos, for our purposes, are effectively equivalent because of, I think, all of these psychological pieces that we put on top. And, you know, we're also not in the business of rolling hundreds of thousands of dice a day and eking out little margins like casinos mm. are, where yeah. if the dice, you know, there you are really talking about the law of large numbers. 
Yeah. But for us, it's it's just fun, right? And, and I wouldn't worry. <laughs> yeah. And if you're salt testing your dice, you're focused on the wrong part of the hobby. Then, you know, to get to, to the importance of randomness, that's a really complicated question that I also don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. That's more about the psychology of storytelling and th- that I don't know much about. But I've played a bunch of games, so I have some, yeah. some context, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I guess my take would be that if if we just got to tell the story that we wanted to tell, then th- then it probably wouldn't be as interesting because we don't have these constraints. I, I kind of vision it as a constraints problem. And I think this is one of two facets. Constraints really like bolster creativity, yes. I think. Yeah. Yep, and I so agree. when you have a situation where it didn't go as planned and now you're faced with this circumstance that's kind of boxed you into a corner, you have to get creative about how you solve your problem. I think this is true, you know, outside of tabletop role-playing games, and it's also true in the context of any kind of problems you're trying to solve. Um, mm-hmm. if you, it's kind of like the the white paper problem, right? You're like, yeah, oh, I have yeah. this white paper. How do I even start? And you know, but if you're like, oh, I'm boxed in some way, then then it kind of sparks that creativity, which I think is maybe really what we're all trying to get at, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, just I, I know for me it's a really important outlet to to do those things that are hyper creative and 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 very different than I do in my day to day. I think what I find often with new players and especially like myself, I'm not like myself when I was first getting into the hobby and stuff is I think there's a tendency to to try to treat everything as if it needs plot armor. If that makes sense, like you're like yeah, like well I don't want to overcommit because I don't want to lose this character. And I think the further you get into the hobby, or maybe it's just the the sort of style of games that like you know, people tend to play who are <laughs> who uh, are connected to role for topic, it's uh, there is like a, a tendency of like I want those moments where I'm caught flat footed, like I want those moments where I'm put in danger because like there's something that we see that happens that's really interesting in those moments, like right, like what you're saying, it's like all of a sudden you're you're faced with this this decision that's sort of taken out of your hands a bit it's like oh like but i want this one thing to happen but like there's been a call for a role and like so now we're going to cede control over to this this random number generator right <laughs> right and like that random number generator is going to match up with the mechanics of the game and sort of tell us what's going to happen even if we don't like 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 the outcome or want the outcome or anything like that I think there's like it is like exactly what you're saying like there's such uh like a creativity that can come out of those moments of like you roll it goes poorly right like you know like it goes poorly all of a sudden you're put in danger and it's like yeah like well how am I going to get out of this how am I going to react to this how am I going to play my character in this situation all these interesting things happen when we're when we sort of allow ourselves to like yeah step back let go of control roll the dice and sort of see what happens for me, it's so fascinating because it's like if you if you tell people that don't play play tabletop games about it, like you like they're like oh you know like you tell them like how I'm going to play D anD D. What they think about is like oh you're going to roll a bunch of dice. Like that sounds really dumb. Like why <laughs> why are you doing that? <laughs> like yeah yeah or like I don't get it. That seems like that's a lot of math involved. Like this is really complicated and stuff. And then then you play and you're like it's not complicated. It's just like we've we've sort of decided collectively that this is a good way to tell stories um, together, right? Like this is a good way to have fun. Yeah. I, I, I think there's another aspect too that I want to hit on, which I think you're, you're kind of brushing up against, which is kind of the Indiana Jones effect, right? So 
we don't get those really exciting, you know, the, the tension building and then and then kind of the resolution of the, you know, the temple or mm-hmm. or I think that kind of iconic fight scene with the plane and all of the hijinks yeah. that happen. I mean, those are failed dice rolls for Indiana Jones. He fails oh, yeah. so many dice rolls. Yeah. And we love watching that story. But eventually the randomness will fall in our favor. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if you have a few of these failures that are like ratcheting up the the intensity or the peril or the this or the that, like the random number generator is hopefully random and mm-hmm. and as a consequence, it will come in your favor eventually. Yeah. And that is a nice point to say, like, oh, I've I've like propelled my character out of this this hazard. I've done it in a very interesting way because the hazard was significant as a mm-hmm. consequence of all these, you know, potentially failed dice rolls ahead of time. And and I think there is kind of that psychology piece too, which is this tension building device. Oh yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It does provide tension. Cause I think the, like, again, going back to like sort of human psychology, I think our, our natural inclination is, is always going to be ratchet down the tension, right? Like, you know, but if you have, if you have an external force that you're, you're relying on to like, yeah, add, add that tension. Um, it's harder to negotiate with it, I guess, right? Especially if you're playing a game with a GM, you have to negotiate through the GM. Like, it's almost like you're you're presenting your case of like, well, look, I know the dice are saying this one thing. <laughs> I know we've agreed we're playing this game. I know you're trying to tell this story, but please don't kill my character off. You know, right? Like, in, I haven't really played with an antagonistic GM ever before. I'm sure there are some that would just say like, no, the dice have spoken. We can't, <laughs> we can't do anything about it, but... I think in some ways there, there's another piece of advice here for GMs that we should touch on, mm-hmm. which is that not all moments need to need to bring tension. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, the only doors in campaigns that bring tension are the doors that are generated as a consequence of the role for topic podcast. Yeah. <laughs> all other doors, like if there's if there's no need for tension or or the storytelling is interesting, like just let them open the door. Yeah. Let them do the cool thing. Let them pick the lock and like, yeah. We don't we don't need to like somehow get stumped behind a door. It's not really that interesting yeah. from a storytelling perspective, unless there are external things happening. So if you do, you know, put you know a a dice gate in front of your door, make sure that there is you know marauders that are that are coming up behind the players or or something mm-hmm. else interesting that's keeping them from from safety. The rules for Mouse Ritter mentions something along these lines i don't have it handy uh, so i'll try to paraphrase it's, it's essentially like the philosophy is like whenever you're calling for a dice roll like it should be sort of a big deal at least in that game and i know there's, there's a number of games like this i think like blades is, is similar in that like the it's almost like you can have a successful session of some of these games where the dice rolls are pretty limited like versus D where you might um you might hit a, a combat encounter and then all you're doing for the rest of the night is sort of rolling, rolling dice in various ways, you know, like maneuvering and stuff. But like sometimes these these games, like I think the recognition in some of these like more narrative focused games is that every time you go back to that num- random number generator, it is introducing enough chance and enough, I don't know, tension and conflict and stuff like that into the game that you should be very careful about when you when you introduce those. So it's not that, like you were saying, you don't, it's not like every door has to have a series of 15 dice rolls, <laughs> 15 dice rolls behind it. It's like, yeah, like make sure that you're sort of measuring those out. 
throughout the game and like i don't i think this is maybe like a, a maturity thing for for gm like i know at least in, when i first started running games i would call for dice rolls a lot more than right it's just like it's yeah it's sort of less interesting yeah and, and the written modules that you would get as a an early gm particularly for D everything has a dice roll associated with yeah. it. It tells yeah. you what the DC of getting through the door is. So you <laughs> yeah. therefore feel compelled uh, to call yeah. for a dice roll. So, so yeah, I don't think that's surprising at all. It's, and, and you eventually have to come to the conclusion or listen to enough podcasts or play enough games <laughs> to go like, oh, maybe I don't need that dice roll. And, and I can actually, we can get through those pieces to get to something that's more climactic. So just shifting gears a little bit, like thinking about Blades in the Dark. So like powered by the Apocalypse apocalypse games and stuff like this have have these, it's not just pass-fail roles, right? Like the idea is that you have ranges where it's like, you know, you, you do have outright failure in them, but usually it's like failure with a consequence that can kind of shift the story around. So like you might succeed, you might succeed with a consequence or you might fail with a consequence, right? So like those are sort of your three three states. So like, in blades in particular, right? Like, so you're rolling 1d6, 2d6, 3d6, right? Based on sort of your abilities and taking the highest number, um, you know, like the highest number for those. And that sort of determines where you fall. And I think what I found playing blades in particular is like, there's, it's almost a little bit of a letdown when you succeed, <laughs> like when you have a successful role, it's like that sweet spot of success with failure like success with like a consequence is like so fascinating to me because it's like, you know, going back to the, what we, we've asked the, you know, we've asked the dice, you know, what we should do in this situation. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it hasn't gone our way. And like, now we're getting to both get what we want, but also we're shifting the story to, um, you know, to the point where it's like, you just, you really want to see that, <laughs> that mixed success happen. We'll have to tune your dice pool that you get to, mm. to make that kind of the, yeah. the mean, right? So that's yes. the most expected outcome. If you roll, yeah. you know, three dice or, or I, I don't know the exact, uh, but of course in that system, like the more dice you roll, the more likely you are to, to get a full success. Yeah. Which is, um, it's, it's interesting. So like I played in a campaign of, of blades where one of the players uh mark french who's been on this was on this podcast really early on in in the run um he he quickly grasped that like getting as many dice as possible for like sort of your your key actions that you wanted to take would mathematically result in more success um and like i i am not a min maxer when it comes to comes to games at all like this will be a no surprise to anyone who's listening to this podcast but i'm often like oh like oh that's that's really you can do that okay cool um but uh like me you know, playing blades it took me a long time to realize that adding even like you know 1d6 to your dice pool i can just massively increase your numbers your success rate and kind of that goes back to what you were saying with like how you would determine the the curve of what you can roll it's like if you you know add another d6 it's like yeah you're your sort of your lowest possible role is going to be three and you have another chance at getting a six <laughs> right away. Um, what's interesting to me is like, yeah, it's like that you can really feel yourself increasing in power in those games as you're leveling up and adding those D sixes to it. But again, for me, right. It sort of like also detracts a bit from the, the narrative fun of the game. Yeah. I remember very early on when I started playing D and D, you know, I built the min max paladin warlock whatever build and mm -hmm. went to a session that was supposed to be a little bit climactic and we were facing a vampire or something and i just one shot this vampire 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And realize like, wow, I ruined everyone's fun. Yeah. <laughs> like the GM was upset, you know, not, you know, they, they, yeah. they took it in grace and like continued the story on, but like, yeah, nobody else really had the, the spotlight moments in this battle. And, and mm-hmm. I think the GM has spent a lot of time preparing it. And, and yeah, that was, that was like the moment for me where I was like, Oh, I'm doing this wrong. It's yeah. not about winning. Like that is not the, the con- that is not the win condition of this game, which is weird because I mean the game presents it as the the win condition of like yeah you want to be you know powerful hero who can who can one shot a vampire right like that should be the end goal, <laughs> the end goal of every game right but yeah there's just there's there's something I think about like yeah about not not being able to fulfill the destiny of the dice <laughs> that is like yeah just really compelling. I don't know. Maybe we should wrap it up there. I think this has been a really good conversation. I guess, did you have anything else that you wanted to say about, about dice in general? I, I do have a kind of an interesting interpretation maybe of the blades dice. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and dice pools. And, yeah. you know, and this might get a little, a little fancy, but I, but I do think That's it's okay. interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'll try and do my best to, to describe it in, in a nice way because it's a very different system than, you know, roll a D 20 and add six or add mm-hmm. five. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have quite the same kind of like linear effect of success, right? Like every time I add one, it's just like much more likely, right? Because you're rolling yeah. a single die, each outcome is, you know, the same, right? So mm-hmm. you the, you get you have the five percent probability of getting a one and a five percent probability of getting a two, and all of the dice are the same. So when you add modifiers, it it just is kind of like a linear progression in your in your success rate. With with blades, it's a little bit different because every time you add a, a d6 and your your goal is to get a six, it scales a lot differently. So if there's you know of course one d6, then you have a one in six chance. Mm-hmm. And the way I would kind of, I'm, I'm going to build up a, a visual strategy okay. here, yeah, yeah. Um, where you know you have a, a line and it has six bins in it, right? And the only success is this last bin, right? The six bin, great. Okay, now let's roll two dice. Well, instead of a line, now you have this matrix or this like two-dimensional grid where the first first die is a one or and the second die is a three or something like this. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a, a square and the successes become the bottom row and the farthest column. Mm, okay. Okay. And the the relative areas of that correlate to your success. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. So in 2d6 you have 11 out of 36 possibilities are successes because there's you know six bins down the column and then you have the bottom row which is also six but you don't want to double count the fart so that's you know six plus five which is different than you know say one over six plus one over six um much different um (laughs) okay so 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 there you have that right and now you can keep playing this game so you can say, okay, what happens when I have 3D6? Well, now you go from a line to a two-dimensional grid to a three-dimensional grid, Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And your successes now are represented by the bottom, like on a D6, right? It would be the bottom face and two of the other faces. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and now it's getting like more complicated, right? So like there's just more counting to do. However, there's a really interesting kind of theorem or, or idea that, that people have shown, which is that the volume of a shape like this actually is all on the outside, outside surface 
of this object as the dimension goes up and up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It gets weird. Yeah. But so for for example, the the way that that people would would generally talk about this is with a sphere, and so there's a much higher fraction of the volume of the sphere very near the surface, the higher the dimension goes. Okay. So so this is one way to interpret how the dice, like adding dice makes for more success because the success is always on those outside pieces of the sphere and mm -hmm. that's gaining more and more area. How does that affect the way we play? Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting idea um, yeah. and, it, and it kind of corresponds to some of these fun ideas yeah. from, from math about concentration of volume, which, which play these really kind of unintuitive or, or they have these really unintuitive consequences as the dimension goes up or as the number of dice you roll go up. Right? Because yeah. to say like the volume of a sphere is concentrated on the outside of the sphere, like for us, that doesn't really, you know, us in three dimensions, that, that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Like, oh, the, the volume of the sphere, it's the same wherever you go. But it's this question as when you get six and seven and eight dice, right, where, where it becomes more, more relevant. And, and yeah. we intuitively know this because... You know, the more dice we have, the more likely we are to roll a six. Yeah, that is really fascinating. The more dice we have, right, we'll more likely to roll a six. It's like, so if you had 66, going back to like the first sort of discussion we were having about randomness on a D6, right? Like you, you expect if you roll the dice, you have a one in six chance if you roll one, one die to roll a six. <laughs> so if you roll it six times, you'd expect to get one six. But if you roll 66... I mean, your expectation is, well, surely one of them will be a six, <laughs> right. right? You know, but like, it's not going to happen every time. Um, right. Yeah. And I think that's where like the, I'm glad you talked about this. Cause it's like, yeah, that's where like the intuition for me sort of breaks down. I think it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, you know, like mathematically, like, yes, like I have a very good chance of this happening, but like, what is that chance? And like, what does that really like change about how I'm going to approach this? You know, <laughs> like, like all of those questions too. Cause it's like, you can't get out your hypercube, right. When you're rolling 46 right. and like, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, let me just calculate the volume and like, we'll, we'll get back to this real quick. Yeah. But, but it's just like, you know, and, yeah. and a really important thing to note here is like, if you're considering probabilities that much, you're mm -hmm. also playing a different game yeah. than maybe the rest of the players at the table. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So you know, do the things that your character is is yeah. good at, and and if you succeed, then awesome, have a good time. Yeah. And if you <laughs> fail, then awesome, and have a better time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that that is as good a place as any to to wrap up. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Toby. I really appreciate this conversation. Um. I hope you liked it. it wasn't too dumbed down for you or anything like that. But <laughs> no, um, absolutely, yeah. it's so fun to talk about these ideas because yeah, yeah, in some ways, very unintuitive. Uh, but they yeah. do have these nice, like, physical or, like, I mean, I, I think in geometric shapes. So mm -hmm. they have these nice geometric uh, interpretations, which I, yes. which I also just like to roll around in my head for practice and <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not, it's not just theory, right? It's like, yeah, you have, you have sort of the model, but then you can also sort of see, see how, it, how it'll work in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, all right. Well, so that's been good. Um, yeah, I think, let's see. So next time record uh andy will be back in the saddle with us um he was out doing some family stuff today um yeah so again thanks to toby for jumping on just to talk to me about this um yeah i think that about does it um you can listen to our sister show the splat book uh, the splatbook.com 
That's with uh, Kyle Latino and John Corey. It is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, they recently had an episode where I think actually Andy was on along with, I think, Matt Wilson as well to talk about some John Carpenter movies, um, which I need to go back and listen to that episode. But first, before that, I need to watch The Thing, which I've never seen, seen The Thing, and I feel sheepish about admitting that <laughs> on air. We need um, to get Kyle on to talk about this too, because I think yeah. he brings a fun, oh. he, he loves random resolution yes. mechanics and so yeah. he has strong feelings about them from a from a storytelling and from a mm -hmm. from an art, art perspective that yes. that would be really fascinating to hear yeah i'd love to talk about yeah about that with him I, i've talked about that in person with him before too it's um yeah especially i think just like how he he sometimes incorporates that into his art practice too like there's yeah lots of <laughs> lots of really compelling and good stuff there um yeah so i mean this is surely not the last time we'll talk about dice and randomness on <laughs> the role for topic podcast but yeah uh yeah so i think that about does it for us um again i've been chris salzman thanks again toby and remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm <laughs> <laughs>